Hello and welcome to Rookie Movie Reviews. I'm Jenny. I'm Dan. And Dan, what did uh, what did we watch? We watched Reservoir Dogs. We're and kicking off Quentin Tarantino. You, you darn tootin'. What would you say about Reservoir Dogs? Well, I would argue that it's one of the top 100 movies of all time. Yo. Yeah. And that's what we do on this podcast. We watch the top 100 movies bucket list from IMDb from 2019. We're in 2020 right now. Stuff has changed. I do believe Reservoir Dogs is still on the list. A 1992 film by yes. Quentin Tarantino. I want to say it is. Also, I'm excited for the string of Tarantino movies because we're going chronologically. We've done a couple groupings of movies in the past with Kubrick and Hitchcock, and now we are going on to Tarantino, but this time we are just going in order of the movies he made on the list. I think the movies that are on the list are going to be uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and Django Unchained. So we're jumping right past the Kill Bills, and we're jumping past stuff like... Jackie Brown, things of that nature. I'm, I know I'm forgetting a big chunk, but... I really don't know them. He's made 11 movies? He's made, as in written and directed, 9. 9. And he said he's going to stop at 10. Oh. But he also has some loopholes like Kill Bill, he counts as 1. He doesn't count things that he directed, such as his Four Rooms short. Even though he directed it, it's, it doesn't count because he doesn't want it to. And, you know, there's no way that he's going to stop at 10, right? Right. Hard to say. He's a man of principle. <laughs> Anyhow. Let's... I would say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would deserve to be up here, eventually. Oh, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I could see in some iteration of 100 movies you need to watch Once Upon a Time being up here. Yeah, I guess it kind of seems like... A movie about making movies and people in movies and it's kind of this meta thing, you know? So So we open up with a restaurant scene and Tarantino, who plays Mr. Brown, nice, is telling a story or he's talking about how Madonna's like a virgin means that she's getting fucked so painfully like she's a virgin because she just, airport for dick. Yeah, she has a lot of sex, and her vagina becomes looser because of this act, which is solid women's anatomy right there. Yep. This this opening monologue, it, the opening diner scene is famous. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good spoiler alert stand-in for how I feel about the movie as a whole, because this always used to be one of my favorite movies. And now watching it, this opening monologue has stuff... That's very dated and not funny or clever, like Mr. Brown ranting about how vaginas work. But then you also have stuff like Mr. Pink talking about why he doesn't tip. And there's all this conversation going on, and some of it's entertaining and funny and good characterization. And some of it is just Tarantino thought he was a funny guy and wanted to film himself saying this stuff, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, at this point, I think they get called as the group the Ramblers. Might not be completely accurate, but Joe, Big Joe calls them. Oh, it could have just been Joe like Cabot? you Ramblers or something. But oh yeah, Ramblers yeah, get rambling or something. Yeah, 
But the You Don't Tip scene, yeah, that's famous. Um, Steve Buscemi plays Mr. Pink, mm -hmm. who on principle doesn't tip because it shouldn't be his obligation to help these women make money. Learn to type. You want to get paid better. And being a waitress is one of the top jobs for ungraduated, non-graduated yeah. women. Who knows if that's still true? That's 1992. It probably is. Buscemi is really good in this movie. I wrote down that you'll have actors or actresses that are so distinctive and obviously uh, A-list celebrities like Brad Pitt or something. You always recognize and you're like, oh, that's Brad Pitt. And then maybe you can start to see him as the character as the movie goes on. But you're always kind of like, yeah, that's Brad Pitt. Yeah. So that's not what I mean when I say distinctive actor. I mean like Steve Buscemi, who they're kind of odd looking. And you've got folks like Steve Buscemi, Christopher Walken... Forrest Whitaker, these people who uh, are very standout and very uh, recognizable. And I think that if you put actors like that in a movie, it's kind of like for their cult status. You know, when people see Buscemi in a movie or walking in a movie, they're like, oh, that guy. But this time, I think Mr. Pink is a perfect role for Steve Buscemi. Mm -hmm. He's this kind of weaselly villain and... He's a bank robber who uh, has a hard set of rules that he thinks make him a very slick guy. And I think it's just uh, a perfect role for him. And it's very easy to see it as Mr. Pink the criminal, not Steve Buscemi for me. I'd agree. Did you know Steve Buscemi was actually a fireman? <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone knows that. Then it cuts to a bloody backseat and a screaming man because he's the one making all the blood. <laughs> He's producing the blood. <laughs> uh, Mr. Orange is bleeding out in Larry's backseat, Mr. White. And Larry's trying to comfort him, like, Are you a doctor? You're gonna be okay. You're not a doctor. And they get back to the meeting point. Which is a, a warehouse. Mr. White and Mr. Orange arrive at a warehouse. Mr. Orange kind of pleads with Mr. White to take him to a hospital, leave him on the, on the sidewalk. And Mr. White being a criminal and kind of knowing all the implications of giving someone up once he has given up his name, he refuses. And they are going to wait on Joe, or nice guy Eddie, to show up and get a doctor. Now, Mr. Pink arrives and starts to talk about how there's definitely a rat in the mix. Because they talk about how they're getting the diamonds, no cops, turn around and there's cops. And the cops did not wait for... They, they didn't wait for the alarm to go. They they waited for, like, a specific action. And all of it is very hinky to these hinky. Uh, to these criminals. And I think the scene where uh, Mr. Pink and Mr. White are kind of talking turkey and getting their facts straight in the bathroom is very cool. So Mr. White leaves Mr. Orange to go talk with Mr. Pink in the bathroom separate. And they kind of say, like, oh, here's why it doesn't make sense those cops showed up. And Mr. White is kind of giving his summary, and Mr. Pink interjects and says, that is not correct, that is not what happened, this is what happened. And then going off of that, I think it's such a cool way to show this professionalism to a heist, and I know that heist movies like to show the criminals as really good uh, teamwork, like Ocean's Eleven, but I think this is a cool view of when things get hot and they don't work out as planned, how do these professionals act now? And, uh, I mean, the whole premise of the movie is that, but uh, this particular interaction is very cool because 
I think of all the criminals, Mr. Pink and Mr. White are the ones that we get to see as the true pros. Yeah. You know, so they're really working out the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we also establish Brown is dead. Yeah, and that Mr. Blonde is a psycho. Yes. They say he's a madman. He's shooting up the place. He uh, just started firing on innocent civilians. And this is all before we even really get to meet Mr. Blonde outside the opening diner scene. We just hear this stuff about him. And then we have a cool little flashback where... Mm-hmm. Mr. Pink is escaping the scene, being chased by cops, and hijacks a car. I just like these little cutaways that show not the whole thing that happened, but it shows the, the limited perspective of what might have gone down, you know? Mm-hmm. It, uh, it just builds up to the, the mystery and the unknown frantic nature of this robbery gone wrong, as opposed to using them to paint a whole picture. You yeah. Know? I like that this movie is centered around... Having a robbery is the main plot device, but we don't learn really anything about the robbery. It's like, oh, it's diamonds. They were taking diamonds or something. Yeah. It's definitely about the drama of the internal conflict between the heist men. The heist boys, yeah. Heisty boys. Okay. So, blonde and blue, yeah, they got caught or killed. Nobody's heard from them. Somebody's a rat. And they talk again about how, well, they come back out of the bathroom and Orange is passed out. But he's not dead, and they can't take him to a hospital because they'll be screwed. Larry says the bullet in his belly, the bullet in Orange's belly is his fault. And he feels badly, obviously, and Joe could help, so they're kind of waiting on Joe. He gets in it with White a little bit, and Pink's insisting that, I'm a professional, I'm the best criminal. Yeah. Well, he does have a good point. There's this flashback where Mr. White and Joe are talking in an office, And they're just talking about their life, you know, like old friends. And we get to see Mr. White is built up as this mature, professional pal of Mm -hmm. the organizer. And then, as you say, they get into it in the warehouse. We cut back and they have their guns drawn on each other at one point, uh, arguing about what's really going to go down, what has to happen. Uh, And it's a very iconic scene, I think. Or at least an iconic pose, where Mr. White is standing with his gun pointing down at Mr. Pink, and Mr. Pink is on his back, aiming up at Mr. White, and they're yelling at each other. And in enters Mr. Blonde, who we've kind of been waiting for this whole time. You know, the madman is here now. Well, he also went to get some burgers and fries. Yeah, he shows up with a soda or something. It's like, dang, this guy has no, no worry in his heart. No worry in his heart. I think this movie does a really good job. I want to talk about Mr. White a little bit, mm-hmm. about how he's probably the moral center of this group of men. Yeah, he's fatherly to Miss Orange. Yeah, definitely fatherly. Uh, in the diner scene, he's the one who's like, shut up with the book. He's talking, he's talking, I need to concentrate. So he seems like the straight man. Yes, and he is also the one who vehemently defends vehemently? 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 Who knows? Vehemently? Somebody knows. Defends the profession of a waitress and how they are justified to tips. And he kind of belittles Mr. Pink, you know, and has this perspective of, you know what these girls make? They make shit. Mm -hmm. They depend on, you know, fucks like you to pay. Uh, So, yeah, I 100% agree. So he's definitely some kind of... He's probably supposed to be the most relatable in the movie. I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that as we were watching it, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, there is problematic use of you know prison rape jokes Mm -hmm. and 
homophobic jokes and certainly racial slurs. And throughout the movie, pretty much every character uses these slurs except for Mr. White. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool. But then there's a scene later on where he drops some pretty hateful speech yeah. uh, very casually. So that yeah. kind of goes out the window. But This movie, should we talk about it now? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's going to be more examples. I, but yeah, let's let's talk about this now because it's kind of a big thing with Tarantino in it's general. It's crazy. It's yes. too much. He loves the N-word. Mm-hmm. He just loves it. And his characters... So my first thought is, hey... These characters are all scumbag criminals, mm-hmm. and they are hateful people, and it makes sense that hateful characters would use words like the N-word and the homophobic slurs and jokes that they make about prison rape and very serious topics like this. Yeah. But my counterpoint is that between these iconic standoff scenes with guns and you know uh frantic shootout scenes and certainly the opening scene where they're all leaving the diner getting ready for the job and it's like cool groovy music and they're in their suits and stuff as they walk through the parking lot i think it's fair to say that tarantino is writing these people to be cool and yeah like all business and they don't give a shit about anything and they're gonna break some laws so I don't think you can say, oh, you're not supposed to like them. I think you're supposed to like them. I think you're supposed to think these people are pretty cool. Yeah, you're supposed to think they're badasses. Yeah. This just gets extrapolated uh, or exacerbated. Exacerbated. With the final movie on the list, which is Django Unchained. Yeah. Uh, in the context of this movie, I guess I kind of blew the scope out a little bit. But in the context of this movie, what really stands out to you is egregious or like what, are, what would you throw on there? Racism, sexism. I'm sure that there were examples, but I forget off the bat, like, the majors. Is it the monologue about, like, a virgin? The main well, that, sexism? there's that. And then waitresses, like, learn to type. Yeah. Women who women who don't go to college, their options are being an administrative assistant, secretary, or a waitress. Like, sure, that's a trope, but also when, when boys don't go to college, they get told to learn a trade, you know, not mm-hmm. learn to type. Yeah. I I guess there's an element of that opening dining scene. There's probably a sexist scene that I'm forgetting about. But that opening dining scene does have a defender in, like, Mr. White. Because it's this person saying ignorant stuff, Mr. Pink. Mm-hmm. And Mr. White says, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You're cheap. Shut the hell up. And he's not really advocating for women. No. But Mr. White, Mr. Pink is getting pushback. But then... Nothing else has that pushback. Yeah. Everything else is gleefully participated in. And uh, like I said, I'm sure I'm forgetting some sexist stuff and that scene, Mr. White is no hero of women. That's for sure. So yeah, I agree with you. Anywho, Mr. Blonde. He's alive, yes. And he has a little bit of a tiff with Orange. Or, oh no, they talk about what happened to Orange. There was a little bit of a gunfire. He got shot in the tum-tum. And Mr. Blonde says, come out to my car, you're going to love it. And inside of his trunk is a cop, hogtied. <sighs> so this is um, a Tarantino trope. Um, the shot up from the trunk of the car is uh, in, it's in a lot of movies. but Or every oh. movie? I don't know. It's like an Easter egg for Tarantino movies. He also really likes diner scenes. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And I'd like to say my feet count uh, is at zero because women weren't really featured in this movie. Oh, you started your feet count? Yes. 
Nice. I'm excited to hear the end result. Mm-hmm. I will I will not even pay attention. Of course, we could always watch What's Upon a Time in Hollywood at the end and double it. Good God. Because, damn, are there feet in that movie. There's tons of feet. Margot Robbie's feet should have their own credit for how often they were on screen. <laughs> this this uh, cop reveal is interrupted by another flashback. Yes. So similar to the flashback to Mr. White, we now have a flashback to Mr. Blonde. And Nice Guy Eddie. And Nice Guy Eddie, yes. So Vic Vega is the name of Mr. Blonde, and he just got out of jail. And he's talking to Joe, because Joe can help him out. And we also find out Nice Guy Eddie is Joe's son. Yes. But Joe's collecting a bunch of guys together to do this job. There's some prison rape jokes. A racist. Ton. Oh yeah, I I thought that this sequence was bad because of the prison rape jokes, and now I'm remembering that it was all about uh, black people perpetrating prison rape, and it's it's really gross. It's not funny, and I don't think that these people are properly highlighted to be bad people. They are definitely idolized throughout the movie with uh, certain choices. But I know I've seen this movie before, and it probably didn't bother me as vehemently because I was, I don't know, uneducated. But watching it, watching it now, I kind of wanted to stop. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just got too uncomfortable. Like, this is a very gross movie. That's fair, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. We also get nice guy Eddie. So, do you want to talk more about the flashback? It's just exposition. Like, Vic Vag is a psychopath. He knows nice guy Eddie, and he has connection with Joe. And he did four years of time in prison and didn't give up any names when he could have and walked. Yeah. So basically just, yeah, he's a psychopath, and yeah, he's a homophobe, and yeah, he's a racist, just like everybody else. But he's ride or die. He's very loyal, which is a key plot point. But yeah, back to the warehouse with the cop. Yes. Well, they're going to leave Vic alone with the cop. They all, what is the exact, they're, they're all beating on him, trying to figure out where everyone is and who the rat is. Mm-hmm. Uh, pink and white and blonde. And this cop is tied up in a chair and he's definitely brutalized. And then nice guy Eddie arrives at the warehouse. And he has this line that says, uh, I forget what he said. He he could tell you who started the Chicago fire, but that don't make it fucking so. Yeah. And I thought it was just a a well-delivered line and nice guy Eddie kind of, despite being young and having a silly name and looking kind of silly compared to all these people in suits yeah he he has a a clear head about him i guess in stressful situations but that don't make it fucking so they leave to go get the diamonds because mr pink had stashed them right and then we see blonde alone with the cup and this is kind of an iconic scene uh i can't remember what the name of the song is stuck in the middle with you thank you i did write it down uh so he's gonna torture the cop And the cop says, I've only been on the force for eight months, but Blonde says, it amuses me to torture a cop. And he's doing some kind of dancing. And then he cuts the cop's ear off. And and that cop's name is Marvin. Marvin Nash. We don't find that. I think we find that out in a minute. Mm -hmm. But he cuts off the ear and he starts throwing gasoline on Marvin. And he's going to light him on fire. But then Orange wakes up and he shoots Vic to death. Empties his gun into him. Yeah. Which typically kills someone. So if you're going <laughs> to empty your gun into a person, you're probably yeah. going to kill them. You're probably thinking, I'm going to kill this person by emptying my gun into them. If you shoot them uh, a whole bunch of times. 
if you shoot someone a whole bunch of times, you're probably planning on killing them. Yes, for sure. For sure. But maybe Mr. Orange, the cop, was just thinking Spoilers. of... Spoilers! Incapacitating Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Maybe Mr. Orange thought my response to this situation is subduing him. He had a lighter. He got asked to stop. He should have known what was going to happen. Anyhow, uh, I just realized we should clarify that we are not comparing victims to Mr. Blonde. No. We are making a statement. Making fun of. Making fun of. The actions. A, a cop. The brutal actions. Not the victim. Uh, so. This movie was pretty anti-cop. Yeah, there was that scene earlier where Pink and White were figuring out what went down. And Miss White is like, did you kill anybody? And Mr. Pink says, a couple cops. And, no, vice versa. And Miss Miss White says, a couple cops. Miss Pink says, oh, no real people. He's like, no, just cops. <laughs> Which, is, you know, it's like, damn, criminals. Would have thought that that is the most socially conscious thought from the movie. Because, you know, back then, I'm sure, when the movie was released in 92, I bet fewer people took umbrage with the homophobic and racial slurs in the movie. And uh, they were probably mad about anti-cop sentiments of these criminals. Mm. Now we move forward and it's like, hey, you guys are homophobic and racist, but anti-cop, hey. Well, to be fair, these guys are supposed to be the heroes. I don't know how, I mean, when I'm watching Batman, I'm not like, oh, Batman's anti-cop. He's a vigilante. He doesn't listen to the police. Yeah. Fuck yeah, Batman. You don't watch Dark Knight and you're like, fuck yeah, he punched a cop. I was just punching people. Anyway, we live in a fascist police state. <laughs> it's been going on since well before 1992. Oh, yes. So, blonde is shot. <laughs> Orange is now awake. And he talks to Marvin. Marvin Nash. And Marvin has a little heroic moment where Miss Orange says, I'm a cop. I'm like, yeah, I know. Marvin didn't give up names. Dude got slashed with a razor in the face, had his ear cut off, and was about to be lit on fire. Marvin's ride or die. Knowing that the guy right over there is the rat. But I think he probably also accepted that even if he said that guy's a cop, Mr. Blonde is clearly gonna murder him anyway. Does he have his wits about him? Mr. Blonde? Oh um, the cop? Marvin. Officer Nash. Well, he seemed to calm down pretty quick after, and I don't know if that's a lapse in writing or just... Yeah, he just realized, I guess. But then we go back to the flashback for Mr. Orange, which is my yeah. favorite flashback. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And then it features the only black character. Yep, the only one black character that uh, gets any prominent. I think that there's bystanders who get shot at during the heist. Or they, like, allude to these people uh, that get shot at being black. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. Also, there's a weird rattling. I it's rain. It was kind of stormy looking earlier. I heard light, or I heard thunder, and I saw lightning. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up pretty quick before it starts storming. The commode story, yes, it's really good. It's him. He wants to be a vice officer. Yeah, like Orange undercover. wants to be vice. Yeah, undercover. His name is Freddy. Freddy Noondike. Noondike. Tarantino probably just wanted to use the slur for lesbians. <laughs> yeah. Why are you laughing? <laughs> well, because his name is Newendike and I didn't even connect that uh, part of that is also a slur. And I'm laughing because it's, it's a good joke is why I'm laughing. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're on the same page. I shouldn't throw you under the bus like this. Okay, so the commode story. This is great. It harkens back to 
well, I guess Parasite harkens back to this because Parasite comes after, but it's just him rehearsing a story with flashbacks, the lead up to learning the story, and this is a multi-layered flashback because it's him with the other officer and then him with the ramblers. I guess those are the two layers. <laughs> well, no, uh, that's definitely a good call out and it gets deeper and deeper because first he's practicing his, his story in his apartment. Right? Yeah. And then it cuts to him practicing in front of his friend. Mm -hmm. And then he's doing it in front of the actual yeah. people he's trying to fool. And then, then he's... he's actually picturing the story. And then he's actually in the story reciting it to this picture. So it gets deeper and deeper and it gets more surreal. Yeah. More abstracted, I guess. Uh, which shows that he's really... I mean, he's literally living in his story at this point. So as far as constructing this one flashback sequence, it's it has a really cool idea of how to show how a person will become entrenched in a lie or this life that they are leading. This is probably the best part of the movie. I think so, yeah. It's my favorite, uh, for sure. It also shows how him and Mr. White form a little bit of a connection because Mr. White seems really engaged in his story. I think... Vega is also there along with Joe. Yeah, it's um, it's Joe Cabot, Nice Guy Eddie, and nice guy Eddie. Mr. White. Okay, are here in this story. So those are the people who probably know him the best. We have a slight little flashback here of Mr. White, Mr. Pink, Mr. Orange, and Nice Guy Eddie all riding in a car. I think en route to their meeting, mm -hmm. but yeah. this is the scene where Mr. White engages in. Um, some very flippant racism with his pals. And as far as separating Mr. Orange, he does not, unless I'm forgetting a scene, but uh, I don't think he uses a slur or compares any, you know, makes any harmful comparisons about gay people or anything like that. I think he's the only character, apart from his partner, who does not do that. So, like, he's set up as heroic with it, but it doesn't justify... All the other shit, you know, nope. it's not a good enough point. Not really. To 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 make everybody else say this stuff. And then we have the name assignment scene, which once upon a time I thought was really funny, but now it's just like, oh, Mr. Pink is a bad name because it sounds homosexual. Wow. That's, yeah. That's crazy. If <laughs> like if I was in a scenario where I'm hearing this guy say this stuff, I'd be like, you're not worth my time. But we still watch the movie. For yep. some reason. I don't know. Anyway, I feel like if we had recorded this podcast back when we were 14 and we first saw it, we'd probably be super hyped and super stoked on everything that's happening. It's like, oh yeah, Mr. Pink is totally a girly name. <laughs> Call Mr. Purple. Yeah. So Mr. Purple, another job. Oh, that's so funny. I'm with you. Uh, but I think uh, four men fighting about being called Mr. Black is really funny, at least. Yeah, everyone wants to be Mr. Black. Why don't we pick our own names? And then Mr. White, uh, it's easy for him to say whatever he wants because he's got a cool sounding name. And it's like, I don't know if this is true for like Overwatch skins, but playing uh, Guild Wars or something, the most you can buy dies for your armor okay. with in-game money. You cannot die your Overwatch skins. But you get like different Yeah, skins. you can get different skins. In Guild Wars, dies can be incredibly expensive. And the two most expensive dies back when I played 
were Abyss Black yeah. and Platinum White, uh, or the Titanium White or something. So black and white, everyone that had them would dye their armor that yeah, color. Yeah, those are cool. You had to pay shitloads. <laughs> so, yeah, like, this call-out really cracks me up because it always makes me think of in-game cosmetics and everyone's like, huh. oh, I want to be the badass uh, clad in black, like, vigilante, or I want to be the shining white paladin or whatever you know that's what everyone's gunning for so the way this movie is written like there are other ways to be funny yeah and uh, we're, we're so close to the end we'll wrap it up and then we'll kind of talk about the context of all this i think I this some... is going to end up being a quick one because most of the movie is just racist sexist homophobic bullshit it's also a really tight movie it's a bottle episode of a movie it takes yeah. place in a warehouse we only exit the warehouse for a few minutes at a time. Yeah, that's true. But uh, we do get a brief cutaway of orange, white, brown escaping the cops. Mr. White holds two pistols and kills a bunch of cops. Mr. Brown shot in the head. And then Mr. Orange gets shot by a woman that they carjack. And then we come back to the warehouse. Eddie, Mr. Pink, and Mr. White walk through the door. Mr. Blonde's corpse is there. And yeah. Mr. Orange says he was going to burn this cop. He went crazy. And Eddie says, oh, who, this cop? And he just pulls out a pistol and shoots him like three times. Yeah. Which I always thought, like, damn, that is cold. And I think this is an example of they could write the movie and show these people to be cold, cruel people very effectively without belittling uh, race or sexuality. You know, like when nice guy is like, oh, this cop and murders him. Yeah. It's like, wow, what a bastard. But when they make fun of a black person, it's like, oh, what a piece of shit. Not a not yeah. a cold, uncaring bastard. There's there's having racist characters and then there's having racism being defining characteristics. Mm -hmm. it, I don't know. Anyhow, Joe Cabot arrives. Joe, yeah, Joe shows up and then he kills Mr. Orange and he says he's working with the LAPD. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, the I fucked up. Well, Joe arrives and says Mr. Orange is working with the LAPD. He just doesn't kill him. Okay, he doesn't kill him. Thank God. But there is still a gun showdown. Yeah, the uh, three-way standoff between Mr. White, Mr. Pink, and... No, not Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink uh, doesn't get involved in the standoff, but it's Mr. White, Mr. Orange, who's high, like lying dead. Joe and Nice Guy Eddie, they're all pointing guns at each other. Joe says... Don't point that gun at my dad. The reason they're pointing guns is because Mr. White does not believe that Mr. Orange should be a cop. Yeah. And Joe certainly is because he was the only one he wasn't 100% on. And then they all pull the trigger. Mr. White somehow shoots both Joe and Nice Guy Eddie. And only gets shot in the gut or something. Crawls up to cradle Mr. Orange as he dies. And Mr. Orange says, I'm a cop. And the, the police police are coming in too. Yes. Mr. Pink tries to run off last minute with the diamonds, but... You hear a shootout out the doors. That was a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. White is critting Mr. Orange and Mr. Pink tries to run out. You hear shots before cops burst down the door. Uh-huh. And we get this close-up of Mr. White's face. He's got a gun to Mr. Orange's head, but that's out of frame. You just hear the cops yelling at him to put the gun down. And then you see Mr. White. You hear a gunshot and he reacts, which I think is him pulling the trigger and executing Mr. Orange. Because he said he's a cop bunch of gunfire erupts from the cops and he falls out of frame cut to credits yeah crazy stuff also just in this last moment where mr orange tells mr white he's a cop and mr white is like moaning and screaming in frustration or mm -hmm. something 
I thought it was so bizarre, but so good. Like, if you think, oh, how do you show a character is heartbroken and anguished? You'd be like, oh, they cry. But Mr. White is making this weird, like, <laughs> like frustrated, muffled scream. And it's yeah. it's really good. Yeah, so the movie ends there. Um, yep. I'm going to start with what I like. Okay. I think it's... The dialogue is written really well. The content of the dialogue is problematic for the most part, but some of it is really snappy. I think that every scene in the movie serves to move the plot forward or teach you about a character, Mm -hmm. except for the opening one where Mr. Brown is just talking about like a virgin, which is just Tarantino being funny uh, in his mind because he dies right away anyway. Yeah. And I think that Steve Buscemi, Harvey Keitel, and Tim Roth, who are pink... Mr. White and Mr. Orange, respectively, do a phenomenal job acting-wise. Yeah. I think they just kill it and really kind of disappear into their characters. You know, I have no trouble believing that these people are their characters rather than people pretending to be the characters. And then the end of the story, I think the ending is very good. I think the story is really good. I love heist movies. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite shit. Uh, I think it's unfortunate Tarantino proves he can write snappy, well-paced dialogue without weird racism but he still chooses to incorporate that i don't know what message he's trying to further other than he likes racism i i, I mean that's a big problematic thing because i think you can make it i don't know how right but i'm not a screenwriter i don't know how you would do it and i don't have any suggestions but, but you have to think about who are you attracting by promoting such lucrative use of the n-word and homophobic slurs and who are you alienating when you choose to include these things in your writing i don't think this movie would have gotten made in 2020 yeah and i don't have a problem with that no one is shown to be bad because they're racist or homophobic and no one dies because of that so like no one is punished for it in fact everyone is kind of celebrated by their peers And I think the movie celebrates these characters, too, for being cool and badass. And that makes it seem as though when the the movie is written in a way that people who hold these beliefs are cool and badass. Like, it's really hard to justify uh, any other way of looking at it. And I don't know how you would write a movie to say, this person is racist and they are bad for it. You're just kind of, like... I don't know. When I watch a movie and someone says the N-word, I'm like, oh, that guy's a racist. Bad dude. And I thought that during this movie. Mm-hmm. But the the things that are put to film make it clear that the movie does not think that way about mm-hmm. these people, you know? I think when I was younger, because of the, I don't know, the town we grew up in and the ideologies I was surrounded by, I didn't have a problem with this movie. But fortunately, people can grow and learn. Mm-hmm. And I have a huge problem with this movie now. I feel like <laughs> Ocean's Eleven makes an awesome heist movie. And I don't know if the N-word is said once. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's cool because it's edgy. That's my vibe. I'm so edgy. That's that's middle school shit, you know? Yeah, and I'm trying to think because it's like, oh, Reservoir Dogs is much edgier mm-hmm. than Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is a family movie. Well, I guess. I mean, who, <laughs> it just alludes to people have having had sex at some point in the past. It's more of a family movie than Reservoir Dogs, I guess. I don't... I, 
the target demographic of this movie back then was like young guys. Yeah, and now it's. I'm trying to think of like basically how would they have it be as edgy without having it be so crass, and I think the answer is just don't even have characters use these words. Like uh, there's, I think of this one scene where Steve Buscemi is arguing with Mr. White and Mr. Blonde, and they're about to fight because mm-hmm. Mr. Blonde says, "You're gonna bark all day, little doggy. You're gonna bite." And then Steve Buscemi, Mr. Pink says. I swear you guys are acting like a couple of N-words. Yeah. Every time I work with N-words, they always start fighting each other. Yeah. And it's like, he didn't he didn't have to say that. No. He was already established as being this pompous, thinks he's the best criminal. He did not have to call people N-words for you to think, oh, yeah. And then the question is like, oh, would that make these, like, if they weren't racist and homophobic, would these people be even more idolized and it's like yeah they'd probably be more anti-hero status today if they did not say a single slur or uh whatever and i don't think that's a problem (laughs) you know just uh let them let them do that they this movie can be crass without making light of racism and prison rape yeah and when mr blonde gets out of prison and him and nice guy eddie fight they could have alluded to how he was probably in fights in prison without calling out a specific race or sexuality and uh you know have had the same exact scene only without joking about rape and specifically uh crimes of black people you know it it has not aged well it has not aged well at all man this kind of makes me sad because i was really excited to watch tarantino movies and now i'm kind of dreading it I I know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't use the N-word. I know Inglorious Bastards is not racially charged. And I know that there's one black character. And I think if there is the N-word used, Mm -hmm. it would be by a literal Nazi. Yeah. Who is the villain of the movie and that we want to be destroyed. So that movie, I don't even know if it uses the N-word. But if it does, it's kind of in the way that like... Oh, yeah, people who say the N-word are fucking bad. Yeah. And this movie's like, no, these people are cool. I wonder... Rain on that window sounds weird. Rain on that window sounds like someone's trying to get in, and it's horrifying. Yeah, we have a bay window. We have a bay window, bitches. Yeah. uh, Succulents in. Because it's sunny in that bay window. Yeah. (laughs) But, okay, anyway. It sounds like someone's trying to get in. The more we talk about this, the lower and lower my rating goes. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, I was going to give it a six. Yeah. Because I still really wanted to, like, I still think the story's cool. I still think it's well acted. The story is cool, but it could have been written with different dialogue. It, you... The racism does nothing for the story. It detracts from the movie, because I think now we can look at this movie and say there were grievous mistakes made that hopefully... Tarantino would acknowledge as wrong now. I mean, I think with how he wrote Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's kind of acknowledged or at least shown growth in that regard. Yeah. I don't know how old he was when this movie came out, but he was thin. He's no longer thin. Yeah, he, so he looks pretty past. young. I don't know. It. <sighs> yeah, okay. Do you want to rate it? Sure. Um, uh, like one, two, three, right? Yeah. One, two, three, four. four. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, four because it's super weirdly racist and I yeah. would have stopped watching it if it wasn't in the top. If it's production quality, it wouldn't have been high. 
if it didn't have Steve Buscemi in it, if it didn't have, um, I can't remember the Mr. White actor. Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel and... Tim Roth. Tim, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. If it didn't have all these high actors in it, if it was just made with a bunch of nobodies, if it wasn't made by Tarantino, I feel like this movie would have been easily forgotten. Yep. And it's such a cool concept. You know, heist gone wrong and the criminals yeah. sorting it out. And it's so well acted. And the ending is so good and the movie's so concise. Okay. But it's really problematic. Yeah, it's okay. bad. Oh, okay. four. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, if this is your favorite movie, uh, tweet at us because we have some literature we'd like to pass on to you. <laughs> uh, at rookie movie review. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. RookieMovieReviews.com. But you can tweet at us at RMR underscore podcast on Twitter or find us on Facebook at Rookie Movie Reviews. You can email us on Gmail. RookieMovieReview at gmail.com. If you own that S, we're still looking for you. Yeah, no contact from you, coward. <laughs> anyway, that's our podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.